Sex, 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 and more sex. Everywhere you turn, there is sex. We live in a culture that is awash in extramarital sex, where it's glamorized, dramatized, and commercialized. And this obsession with sex is having a profound and devastating effect on our society and even in the church. Higher adultery rates, increased divorce, divorce rates, and a substantial rise in sexually transmitted diseases. And all this is because we're turning away from God's standard for sex, which is outlined in summary fashion in the Seventh Commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Tonight, as we continue on in our series on the Ten Commandments, we're going to take a look at the Seventh Commandment and God's will regarding the proper bounds of sexual intimacy. So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an Edge. Thanks for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. Hey, we're taking up the Seventh Commandment tonight. We know we're kind of getting to some dicey issues here, uh, dealing with the whole issue of sexuality. Uh, I hope nobody blushes as we talk about this. We're going to have to talk about with some degree of frankness because, really, it's a significant issue, and it's a society-wide problem, and it's something that's really uh, also appearing in the church in significant proportions and measures, and we need to talk frankly and honestly about what God says about sex. Joining us tonight... Uh, for our discussion, as usual, <clears throat> is Reverend Moses Jambazian from Pasadena United Reformed Church and Reverend Adam Kalustian from Ontario uh, United Reformed Church, and I'm John Sautel, pastor of All Saints Reformed Church. And we're taking on the Seventh Commandment and what God says about sex, and he says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. What does that mean? Well, very simply, the base definition is that a married man or married woman is not to have sexual relations with anyone other than his or her spouse. And that would be the absolute minimalist definition. But we know that there is much more that God says about sex. And therefore, we, as we're teaching this in the Heidelberg Catechism, we actually expand it to include many other of the sexual regulations that God gives. And this, that's right. What you've got to recognize that this is, that's right. What you've got to recognize is that this commandment follows the pattern of many of the other commandments that we've read, which prohibits something specifically, but that represents an actual command against all kinds of sin in that category. We saw that with the commandment that uh, you shall not make idols and worship them in your uh, worship of the living God. And we said that was one specific example of the broader meaning of the commandment, which said you shall not worship him in any way that he has not commanded. Idols was just one example. It's the same way with this commandment. The commandment is actually forbidding all kinds of sexual immorality, of which adultery is one specific example. So any kind of fornication in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, any kind of sex outside of the marriage pattern that God has given is sinful and forbidden in this commandment. Yeah, one passage you could look up which kind of expands this uh, application of the Seventh Commandment, for instance, is Leviticus chapter 20 where it talks about sexual immorality and its punishments, but it begins in verse 10 by talking about, it says, well, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, so forth and so on, explains that adultery there. But then it goes on to various other uh, immoral sexual liaisons, bestiality, homosexuality, uh, sex within with people within uh, 
the bounds of consanguinity. So what what's, what's that word consanguinity? Within the family line. I mean, certain people you're not allowed to have sex with, first cousins, aunts, uncles, so forth and so on. But it, it lists all of these under the broader heading here, which I thought fits under this. But the problem is, is there's a lack of attention to this commandment. And I, I know it's not new. Uh, this problem has always been with society and even in the church. But just let me read some statistics here uh, from... The Janus Report on Sexual Behavior estimates that more than one-third of men and one-quarter of women admit to of having at least one extramarital sexual experience. Other surveys put it up uh, 25% men and 17% women. You break down the number, that is millions and millions and millions of people. And we're talking about married people. We're not talking about sexual liaisons uh, by people who aren't married. But this is husbands and wives doing this. It's the the pro- the problem is is substantial, and one of the things that we have to deal with is that in the church, quite often it's taken lightly as well. Now, there's the one element in the church which you know it sounds like it's a good thing where you want to be polite and not bring up people's sins and all that, but all at the same time, we have to deal with the reality of this sin. And yes, it will cause problems when you try to confront it, but it has to be done because. In these sins, in any sin, but in this one we're talking about tonight, God is dishonored, and the people participating in it are hurt. And in this sin, many others are hurt as well, even they're they're not directly involved. And so we need to take it very seriously and not simply just joke about it or brush it off. Yeah, well, you know, research indicates that 65% of marriages where there's adultery end in divorce. It it harms uh, relationships significantly it not only hurts the marital relationship but then all the children that are uh, brought within that relationship are also significantly affected by this devastatingly affected uh, for the short run and the rest of their lives by just immoral behavior and this is something that's very common among christians there was a recent poll done by uh, christianity today subscribers and we're talking about a mainstream evangelical magazine and they they polled lay uh, laymen who were reading or subscribing to the magazine and they came across this statistic 45 percent of the male readers admitted to having done something sexually inappropriate you're talking about married men 23 percent of the women that's a high high number yeah people think that sexual sin whether it be the actual act of adultery or any kind of fornication thoughts words actions indulging in pornography whatever Oh, it's relatively harmless. You know, everybody does it. I, I mean, listen to these statistics. Maybe I'll use them to justify my own sins in those ways. But listen, the Proverbs say, The lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. So, oh, it's just fleeting pleasure, and I enjoy it so much, and there are no consequences. But the Scripture says, In the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword, and her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Unless you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable, and you do not know them. Think about that. It says you may be tricked into thinking that our adulterous or fornication, all these acts are relatively harmless, but that is a lie. That is Satan's lie, and it grabs hold of lives and destroys them. When we come back after the break, we're going to continue to unfold this seventh commandment and its applications and ramifications. Make no mistake about it. God calls you as a Christian to sexual purity and to the keeping 
of this seventh commandment. Stay tuned with us after the break on Sinners and Saints. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In other words, what Paul is saying is that if you want to be wise unto salvation and learn to live for God's glory, you need the word of God. And that's why I'm inviting you to come worship with us at All Saints Reformed Church. Hi, my name is Pastor John Sautel. I'm pastor of All Saints Reformed Church out in Walnut, California. We can't promise you you'll be entertained with high-energy music or thrilling performances or exciting worship or trendy programs, but we will promise you that you'll get the Bible. Because in our worship, we read the Bible, we sing the Bible, we pray the Bible, and we preach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. If you want to come to know God through His Word and to grow in His grace and knowledge, then we invite you to worship with us at All Saints Reformed Church. For more information, call us at 909-319-3479. That's 909-319-3479. Or check us out on the web at allsaintsreformed.org. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalusti, and I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED. Okay, we're back here after the break tonight on Sinners and Saints, taking up the Seventh Commandment. By the way, we are so glad you're listening to us, but we'd also like to hear from you. So check us out on our website, that's sinnersaint.org, sinnersaint.org, or call us at 866-99-UNITED. We'd be happy to talk with you. Uh, So get in touch with us. Anyway, tonight we're dealing with the Seventh Commandment and uh, talking here about its applications You know, to understand this commandment correctly, you have to understand it within the framework of what Scripture says about what marriage is and what its purpose is. Well, marriage was ordained by God before the fall. And that's one of the things that we have to see, that this is part of his glorious plan. And he says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Jesus will later use this very verse to explain how marriage must be understood. It is between one man and one woman. It is a good thing given by God. It is meant to be enjoyed, and sex is a wonderful part of marriage. And we must see this. And later on, the Apostle Paul will even use this imagery and that very same verse to describe the relation of Christ to his church. And so this is not simply, oh, I feel like doing something. This has really cosmic ramifications, what we think of it and how we use it. The intimacy between a man and a woman in the marriage bed is a picture that God made in creation of the unity of Christ with his church. That physical, emotional act is so glorious and such a treasure that we really ought to set our minds as married couples to enjoy this gift for God's glory. Proverbs 5.15, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed to broad streams of water in the streets? No, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountains be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? Let me just tell you, some people say, well, I don't know, it's so hard. You know, God made me this way. I love girls. I want to, you know, fool around. It's just the temptation is so strong. No, God made you to enjoy 
your wife. And your wife was made to enjoy you and not to whore yourself out to all the various peoples and pornography and the rest of things that fulfill your lusts. But this is the thing. I think you guys are touching on uh, a real nerve here with the issue of the proper use of sex and that it is is an intensely personal uh, thing to engage in. The problem is when you're talking about people getting all steamed up and they're checking out porn sites or whatever else running around like then they can't hardly even control themselves. Uh, they run around like wild beasts is because they've depersonalized it and they've turned it into a thing. And it's a thing which offers them gratification, fulfillment, uh, whatever. Maybe boost their pride or their ego or whatever. But it's not about a personal relationship with somebody and intensifying that and uh, building that up. It's just a very selfish thing in a pursuit of, a, of an impersonal kind of an entity. But what God said here is that it's to be within the bounds of marriage to promote and enhance the one fleshedness between one man and one woman who are bound together in a marital relationship. And he specifically made it that it would bring pleasure only in that way. And when rightly used, it is certainly one of those things that we can really enjoy in creation and something for which we can give thanks to God. And I guess that's another problem the Christian church has had is it's kind of kept sex as a dirty thing rather than seeing it as that which God has given as a gift to be enjoyed and to really uh, rejoice in and thank God for. And so if we do it that way and if we start seeing it that way, it allows us to talk about it honestly and to present a very good model for the children as to what they should be looking forward to rather than being deceived by all the lies which pornography and everything else and their own really their own lusts will lead them into. Well, why do you, you bring up something here that's interesting? The church is always getting accused of this. In fact, this was uh, a, a very common criticism of the church and the whole Christian culture. Uh, Freud wasn't the first one to point it out, but he pointed out that Americans are and are basically a bunch of repressed people, and this has uh, been caused by uh, the Christianization of society and so forth where their sexual needs were no longer talked about. They're shoved underneath the surface, and it's considered a dirty word. But it's been through, quite often you have this in the history of the church, sex is being treated as something that's inferior, that's not a gift of God. Why, why does the church approach it in that way, or has it tended to? The problem is that the church didn't start from looking at the pre-fall state where God gave marriage and sex to people prior to the fall. And the problem is that we've always regarded virtue as being able to moderate your passions and lusts. And so somehow it became more virtuous not to desire sex rather than to desire sex within the bounds that God has given. And unfortunately, that's led to almost like a prohibition against it. And that has, of course, harmed the church greatly and harmed married couples because they weren't able to look forward and talk about how wonderful it would be. Instead, it became purely functional, mechanical. You had sex to have children. That was a woman's job was to produce. It was not meant to be enjoyed just in and of itself. What we need to do is say, no, it is to be enjoyed. It is to be enjoyed with your spouse, and therefore you shouldn't have to go looking for it outside. But there's also something to the fact that people, I think, have recognized that there are all sorts of powerful impulses and emotions and, and things that come out of the sexual experience that end up, you know, some people will kill for it. They'll do anything for it. They lose their mind, their lives over it because they just don't even think straight because they so crave and so lust after the experience that they, they lose their head in the whole process. And people see the effect that it has and they go, well, how could this be from God? If, if it could so disfigure, twist, and distort somebody's life and turn them almost into an animal who's totally irrational and unthinking, 
how could this be something that God has given? And uh, I think the churches really had to wrestle with that, and they eventually, I think, have just assigned it as a byproduct of the fall, and it's just dirty, and it's best not to just talk about it and just have your kids shut up and, and go on with it. We're going to come back after the break. We're going to continue on our discussion of the Seventh Commandment, so stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. There is no greater joy in the Christian's life than to worship God according to His Word, and there is nowhere better in the San Gabriel Valley to do this than at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. So come join us this Sunday at 9 a.m. and at 6 p.m. at 226 West Colorado Boulevard in Arcadia. You can call us at 866-99-UNITED or look us up on the web at sinnersaint.org. Located in the heart of Los Angeles, Grace Evangelical Church is a Reformed church committed to the three forms of unity, the solas of the Reformation, the doctrines of grace, the preaching of the law and the gospel, the weekly administration of the Lord's table, along with catechism classes for adults and children. Give us a call at area code 310-782-7019, 310-782-7019. Okay, you know, we've been talking about this uh, Seventh Commandment even last segment. We're digging into a little bit in terms of why doesn't the church address this and be more honest uh, and open and frank about this and have real discussions about it, even so our young people can listen in on here so that they're not persuaded by the false images of sex and and so forth that are propagated by the media culture and the entertainment culture because uh, they need to have they need to be equipped with a correct understanding of it the blessedness of it and even the fact that that God has given it as a gift to enjoy so how can the church talk about sex in a biblical way that's not hypocritical step number one let's as Christians be honest with ourselves Christians love to point around outside of the church and outside of their family and whatever and see all kinds of forms of sexual depravity and make themselves feel like they are immune from sexual immorality when in fact that's not the truth the truth is that Christians struggle with sexual lust let me give you a classic example people look and we just love to tar and feather the homosexual community and yes we agree that homosexuality is wrong and you talk to a homosexual and they say listen you know, the problem that I have, Pastor, is, you know, I hear what you're saying. I hear what the Bible's saying, but I just have this urge to fulfill my desires of sex with uh, someone of my own gender. And the usual response to that is, well, stop doing that. wrong. I can't even identify with that, and I'll run away from you. Instead of saying, oh, you know what? That's akin to my own desire to fulfill my own sexual lust, maybe not with those of the same sex, but maybe with those of the opposite sex. And I find myself in the same struggle that you find yourself in. And what I have to do is acknowledge my own sinfulness and remember that Christ came and in his thoughts and his words and his actions, amazingly, he never sinned at all. He never had a lustful thought about another man or another woman all of his days, which, by the way, blows my mind to think of the holiness of Christ, that he walked around around as a, as a healthy man, around women who were attracted to him deeply emotionally and never took opportunity even in his thoughts to pursue a sinful uh, a thought in other words identify ourselves as christians in the same struggle that the unbelievers have knock off all of the hypocrisy and then you can talk to people truthfully about the struggles that they face without saying that you're somehow much more holy than they are it would be good for us to deal with the reality that Christ 
is speaking to us, that the whole of Scripture is speaking to us when it condemns the sin of adultery, the sin of fornication. And so when we do that and we acknowledge that, yes, this is part of our fallen condition to which we are all liable, then we can honestly say, all right, then what would be the good? What is it that God commands? And then we can look at the Scripture and see how it describes marriage as a glorious thing. And all that we have said before and so much more that can be said then becomes the template, then becomes the guide as to what we should be striving towards. I honestly think that Christians should stop worrying as much about the culture outside and all of the uh, others out there who are causing us to live in this just hellish society. The problem is with us. This is the whole point of what Jesus says. You know, you've heard said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you lust even in your own heart, then you are guilty of violating this commandment. You know, so you drive by a billboard that has a stripper on it. Yes, that is disgusting. It is a violation of God's law. It's not how the creation should be. But the problem is with you. It's not the problem with the billboard. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. The church should focus on our own sexual impurity and work on that, and that will go a long way to you know, out of gratitude, striving to fulfill this. But I'll tell you why we don't do that. I'll tell you why we spend all of our time bashing the gays, strip clubs, Hugh Hefner, Playboy, the adult entertainment industry, because it gives us an outlet to deal with our own guilt. We would rather not have to deal with our guilt. And the easy way to do that is to sit around focusing the problem, not on ourselves, but it's all out there. It's so all, and that's the reason why if I have any internal problems with it, if I have any uh, sinful urges, it's because of the environment around me. It's not because of what comes out of my heart. So the easiest way to deal with all this so that we don't have to feel guilty or uh, have all these complicated emotions or feelings is to just sit around bashing everything outside of us. Yeah, the proper way to handle this would be to honestly confess our sin when we read the law of God and to say, yes, this is speaking to me. I have these problems. And Lord, sanctify my thinking. Sanctify my way of dealing with sexual matters. Let me learn as we are commanded to honor the marriage bed of everyone. And let me learn how to love my own wife and not to look upon others as objects for my gratification, but see them as made in your image and those whom I am to serve in love and in a self-sacrificial way. It's a sanctification issue. It's something that we need to be able to deal with, and it can only be done when the church handles it in that way. It says it's sinful for you to act outside of this, but look at the glories when you do it as God says. And you know what? If we deal with it that way, we're going to be a lot more uh, in conformity to the way the New Testament handles it and the apostles handled it than we are now. They weren't sitting around pointing the finger at the adult entertainment industry, the brothels and all this stuff, which was far more prevalent and more public and more open than it is today in our own culture. And Paul even says it's not for us to condemn what's going on outside the church. It is for us that we have to be purifying our own lives and calling upon our own people to this high level of holiness and sanctification. And so it begins with yourself. Take this plank out of your own eye then you are able to be an example to others. And then, you know, admit Christ is right. The law of God does speak the truth. I am a sinner. And yet God in his mercy has redeemed me. So now let me as a redeemed creature delight in what God delights in and seek to do that which is pleasing to him as an act of gratitude, true thankfulness. And that is the proper way for the church to start dealing with this command, you shall not commit adultery. Yeah, it's not, oh, thank God I'm not like those dirty porn stars or homosexuals out there. It's when you're talking with them and interacting before the Lord in prayer, you say, yes, Lord, though I am by nature exactly the same, and though I struggle with these sins, 
maybe in different forms, maybe not, every day of my life, thank God for Christ who obeyed perfectly for me and who bore the wrath of God for my personal sexual immorality when he died on the cross for my sins. And that will be a real way of speaking to other people and of really dealing with our own guilt and struggles in this powerful uh, realm of life. Well, that's going to wrap up our discussion tonight on the Seventh Commandment. We want to thank you for joining us on Sinners and Saints. By the way, please check us out on the Internet, www.sinnersaint.org, sinnersaint.org, or 866-99-UNITED. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.